Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 13. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the Bible verse by verse, and so here we go. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, we thank you and praise you for the morning. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. We thank you for the ministry and just ask your blessing upon each and every Bible-believing Christian church in our community, in the world. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray for the gift of teaching. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts individually this morning, would stir our hearts as marital couples, as families, that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would rebuke if necessary, that we might be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. I believe that's our ultimate goal. So we just ask for your Holy Spirit to fulfill that process. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, you know, in our last few studies, Paul has been addressing those within the church who try to take the believer back to meeting the requirements of the law. Versus living a life of grace. And Paul used his own life as an example of no longer needing the law to fulfill his desire to draw closer to God. And I mean, people are sincere. I don't don't take that away from anybody. I mean, if you're going to blow yourself up for the name of Allah, for the name of Islam, I mean, that is very, very sincere. So I won't take that away that they're sincere. They're sincerely wrong. But they are sincere. So there's billions of sincere religious people out there that believe if I just do certain things, then I will get to heaven. And those things might be in the Bible, the Quran might be part of the church, even under the banner of Christianity, unfortunately. Jesus plus something. No, God is always drawing mankind to himself via the Holy Spirit by grace. None of us in this room as Christians desired the, or deserved the grace that God gave to us to come know his son Jesus as our savior. None of us deserved it. It was extended freely. And Paul had to debug his brain from his religious upbringing to truly grasp how much God loves all of mankind because see guys, he was raised as right now it's taking place in America, division by race, Division by color. Paul was raised to hate the Gentiles. And if you are not a Jew, then you were a Gentile. 
So this Jewish religious person that was sincere in Judaism, matter of fact, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was an extremist as far as religion was concerned, was going to hell. And he hated other people, even though on the outside he appeared very religious. So be very, very careful with religion. You see, he then taught us in the last few chapters that every believer has the Holy Spirit within them just as he did which means that we all have the same ability and opportunity to share the gospel with those around us. And I encourage you every week to do that. You have a sphere of influence, those four, six, eight, ten people around you. You might be the only believer in their lives, and they're watching you. They're listening to you. Maybe they want you to ask them if they need prayer because they don't get it, so they're not going to ask you for prayer. So maybe this week, maybe as you're praying, maybe you just might ask one of your friends, hey, do you need prayer for anything? And and maybe they're just having a great day. Maybe you notice something about them, they're having a great day or they're having a bad day. Step out and say, hey, you know, do you need prayer for anything? I'd like to pray for you this week. See, as we do that, we'll see the results of our spiritual enemy upon mankind, a blindness to the simplicity of the gospel. Many people say no, no. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want to hear about your God. He also shares that presenting the gospel could also bring about persecution, and this persecution could lead to physical death. And again, for us in America, that's a foreign concept. But guys, this is happening in our world. And if you're you're not aware of that, I encourage you to start reading. Start reading. Start studying. People are dying for Jesus Christ in other countries. They're imprisoned and they're dying. But that didn't stop Paul from sharing the truth about coming to the faith in Christ by grace alone. See, he was willing to die for Judaism through the Torah. You've got to meet the first five books of the Bible and I'll die for that. Once he got saved, he realized, oh, that was really dumb because I was going to hell. Now I will die for grace because we're all going to die someday and stand before the Bema seat of Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bema seat is the reward seat of Christ. We will never stand before a judgment seat for salvation. If you're truly saved, you will never stand before the white throne judgment seat of God. But we will stand before the Bema seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation, and another builds on it. So he's talking about the church, and he's talking about individuals. So I've shared with you many, many times. There was a man in my life. He was 26. I was 17. His name was Gene. He's been in heaven now for a couple decades. But he, he shared the gospel with me. I received Jesus as my Savior. But then he didn't hold me by the hand every single day. He encouraged me, now you need to read your Bible. Now you need to get involved with this. And now you should do this. Not that I have to, but if I want to grow, if I want to be more like Jesus, the more you're involved, the more you're going to be more like Jesus. So this is for you. What are you building? How are you building? What are you using to build? 
Are you doing daily devotionals? Do you stop and, and 15, 20, 25 minutes a day read your Bible? Not with your phone by you, so every little ding, dong, click, clack. This, turn it off. Get it away from you. Are you doing it where you have undivided attention? Because if you're not, what are you building? What are you building with? What material are you using? Manure? Because that's what Paul says his religious upbringing was all. It was just a pile of manure. Just a pile of manure. Dung. Did absolutely nothing. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, so for you and I as believers, as we're building, salvation's off the table now, in case you're new to the faith. If you're saved, you're saved. You're sealed into the day of redemption. So you got to debug the program, get salvation off the table. You don't work for salvation, but you should have works of salvation. So what do those works look like? They're in the scriptures. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and Paul uses that physical analogy because then people would understand, oh, building materials. Oh, yeah, we get it, building materials. That's not what he's talking about in the spiritual world. He's talking about what are you using? Are you using the name of Jesus? Are you, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to change your life? Are you using the word of God? Are you using prayer? Right, that's the gold, the silver, the precious stone. Your 401k, that's the wood. Everything else is just wood. And it's nice to have. Believe me, I, I like comforts just like you do. I like security just like you do. My, my security is in Christ, not in my 401k. If it's there, when it comes to it, great. If it's not, oh well. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So we're going to stand before the bema seat of Christ, and I don't believe this is a literal fire like purgatory or uh, fire that we think of. I use the analogy of a a parent-child relationship. And when a child has done something wrong and, you know, and they know that you know that, that they did something wrong and they don't want to fess up to it, they want, they want, want what they won't, what, what, what will they not do? They won't look you in the eye. They'll look down. They'll look over here. They'll be looking at you, but they'll be looking past your face. And sometimes you even got to grab their chubby little face and you got to grab them, you got to hold really tight. And then what do they do? Their eyes go to the left, they go to the right, and you got to say, no, no, look at me. Look at me. They don't want to look at you because they know the truth is in the eyes. I believe that's what's going to happen when we get to heaven. And I believe it's instantaneous. When I stand before the Lord, I'm going to be judged. Everything I did for him, I'm going to have wards. Everything that I did in the flesh, poof, it's gone. His eyes, the purity of his eyes, because I'm going to know what I did in the flesh. Or what I did in the spirit. I'm the one that's going to know. And it's going to be gone forevermore. Praise God. And there'll be no more weeping. Because there will be weeping initially. There'll be tears. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. That's going to play into our study this morning. I don't just pick scriptures just randomly. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved or kept safe. That's not, again, people can look at this and go, oh, I could lose my salvation. No, just do a little deeper study. 
The books are available. You can get it online. That word there means kept safe. You're going to be kept safe. You're going to heaven. You might smell pretty bad when you get in there from smoke, but you're getting into heaven. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I've never done this before. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but I wanted to read this poem to you. Only One Life by C.T. Studd went from having a life of prominent earthly wealth and leisure to becoming a missionary for Christ. And here's the poem. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way. Is anybody busy? I'm the only one that's busy. I'm raising my hand. Are any of you busy at all? The rest of you, congratulations. Maybe one day we'll get there, but uh, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon with its will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, the day of your death, the day you graduate, you take your last breath, then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, the Bema seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Why? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. Enjoy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know you'll say, "'Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." As we look at verses 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. How about if we look at Psalm 116? Psalm 116. This is one of the Psalms that I read with people when they're going to be graduating soon and they're going to be going home to see Jesus soon. I'm not going to interpret it. Don't have time for all that, but I did want to read it. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Guys, make that your commitment this morning, if it's not already there. Again, I encourage you, not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, none of that nonsense, but I encourage you to have a daily reading schedule, a daily devotional time, that he might hear from you. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I'll call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me and the distresses of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death. That means eternal separation from God. Not from dying, we're all gonna die. My eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, in heaven, guys, in heaven. I believe, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows into the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. Precious. Life is precious. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, Praise the Lord, exclamation point. Praise the Lord. So as we look back into 2 Corinthians, all of these things tie into what Paul is going to be sharing with us about this life and how quickly it goes by. You see, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians 15, and as we will see in just a few verses, Paul is absolutely certain of the resurrection. And if any, even if persecution meant death, the resurrection was going to take place. You see, it was a win-win situation for Paul, and it's a win-win situation for you and me. Call me a nationalist. That's okay. I know who I am in Christ. For God so loved the world. God loves every single person, and so do I. 
Verse, that doesn't mean God approves of our actions, my actions, or anyone else's actions that are sinful. And people are trying to, to equate the two. Not only do you have to acknowledge that I'm okay as a trans person, you have to endorse me as a trans person. No, I do not. I do not. And nor do you. I will love you. I will take you to the gospel. But I will not endorse. And I don't think anyone in here would endorse sin in my life. So we just got to be crystal clear with people. Hey, we love each other. But would you endorse sin in my life? Okay, what's the problem? We have to become more like Jesus. It's very simple. Verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul was so thankful that he was now going to heaven, not because he fulfilled all the commandments. I think there's 613 of them, which he couldn't do, but because he realized by grace, through faith, I'm saved. That's it. That's it. You see, persecution will typically spread the gospel better than any other method. It is when we are persecuted that we fall on our knees and take inventory of what's really happening. Why am I being persecuted? Because I love people and I love people enough to let them know I love them, but I can't accept your sin just like you won't accept mine. You see, in the early church, not too many of the saints were leaving Jerusalem until the persecution of Saul took place. Once Saul became born again, he became the persecuted one and was pushed from town to town. Why? Why was he pushed from town to town? Because the grace of God was reaching more and more people. Not the Torah, not the law, the grace of God. And this caused Paul and his companions to give God the praise. When Peter and the boys were brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 for preaching and teaching about Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, they were threatened and instructed to not preach or teach in this name again. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, when they tried to close down the churches? Well, I don't know if you guys heard or not, but the Calvary Chapel that was facing, I think it was one, eight point one or two million dollars in fines in California just this past week, all of it waived. The court said that was unconstitutional. The court finally did what the court was supposed to do, and they said that was unconstitutional. You don't owe a dime. They took a stand for Christ, and they took a lot of heat from the medical community from the Center for Deceit Control, which has come out recently and said, you know, kids, like we always said, like we always knew, you know, kids are resilient and they weren't the problem. Oh, now you're saying that? Well, two years ago, you were telling everybody, don't go near your grandparents because you're going to kill them. And the babies that were born, some grandparents didn't see that baby for months, over a year because of the guidance of the CDC. And now she came out and said this past week, the director, you know, the CDC shouldn't be politicized. You're two years too late, lady. 
Who's going to trust you anymore? What a joke. Did you guys see the four-year-old who showed up to school without a mask and was walked off the property? Fear and control. Fear and control. Well, Acts 4 says this about fear and control. Now, Lord, look on their threats. They've been before the Sanhedrin. Now they've gone to a, back to a prayer meeting. They were taken to prison for a night. They were brought the next day. Hey, look on their threats. The threats of who? The Sanhedrin. Don't you speak in that name anymore. The name of Jesus. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Notice what they prayed. They didn't pray, Lord, give us the ability through your Holy Spirit to obey the commands of the government, especially when they go against the word of God. No, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No way. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is when they just persecuted and yelled at and told, you do not speak the name of Jesus ever again. You got that? And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, we're not going to be able to stand against this wave that is coming upon our country in our own flesh, in our own power, in our own strength. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, refilling, refilling. Lord, give me strength to take a stand. Help me speak the truth in love, as Ephesians says, to my coworkers. It might cost me my job, but Lord, give me the strength to speak the truth in love. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Again, keep it in line with the previous chapters. Seeking after the law, now seeking after grace. I've been persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. This is part of life. Because of the resurrection, Paul, as well as companions in the ministry, didn't faint due to the persecution that came with the ministry. Lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Those two words there mean to be afraid, to become discouraged, to become weary or tired, to despair. The last year and a half, I think, is a good definition where we could all say, I just feel like losing heart. That's why you don't live on your feelings. That's why you stand in the word of God. And you go, thank you, Jesus. God, you're moving the chess pieces into place and it is all going to be fulfilled. Jesus is coming back right on time. You keep your eyes on the eternal, not on the temporal. If you got your eyes on the temporal in these midterms, you're going to, be, you're going to lose heart. Paul definitely understood persecution. He once handed it out in tremendous zeal, but shortly after salvation, he started to receive the same type of persecution at the hands of his own countrymen. Over the years, Paul had been beaten, imprisoned, stoned, shipwrecked. That's just a few examples. We'll get to the rest of them when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There were times when he had gone without food and water, as well as the basic comforts of this life. 
His body bore the marks of those various trials. And along with all of that, he most likely had an eye ailment that required Luke, his own personal physician, to attend to his medical needs. You see, he knew that his body was falling apart, yet with that knowledge, he shares with his spiritual children at Corinth a principle that we all need to pay attention to. Though the outward is fading in its physical appearance, the inward can be can be. It is up to me. It is up to you individually. Can be growing in its glow of glory. How many of you are younger than 25 in this room right now? Do we have anybody younger than 25 in this? Raise your hand high. Don't be afraid. Let them raise their hand, Penny. Go ahead. Come on. Raise it high. Raise it high. Everybody look around. Okay. If you're under 25, your body is still going up. You're, you're getting stronger. You're, you're healthy, all that good stuff. After 25, kissy goodbye. Kissy goodbye. How many of you are over 50? Woohoo! How many of you agree? Kissy goodbye. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> kissy goodbye. Yeah. I like the words that Paul uses in this verse. <laughs> even though we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, that word perishing there, the body, inward and outward, it means to rot thoroughly, <laughs> to change for the worse. Is that happening to you? Yeah, it's happening to me. It's like, oh man. But yet the inward man, the soul, this is not man as far as male or female, just the soul, is being renewed day by day. And you know what those three words mean? Is being renewed, it means to renovate, to make new. Even though the outward and the inward is rotting, the soul is being renewed every single day if I allow God to renovate my desperately wicked heart. It gives him the opportunity to renovate, which gives me the opportunity to serve him in a fuller capacity. And I know many of you want to serve God and you want to serve Christ. And I think sometimes we look at it like, well, you know, only the pastor can do that or only the deacons, only the elders or only super Christians can do that. And we put ourselves on the shelf. There's no reason to do that, but we do it. Just because we think, well, I can't do that. Why can't you do it? You have the same Holy Spirit within you. If you want to limit the Holy Spirit, then you will limit yourself. It comes down to that. It's that simple. If you want to limit the Holy Spirit, you will limit yourself. God can do all things. You see, it makes perfect sense when we remember what Paul's explanation at the end of chapter 3 is all about. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, that would be the, the word of God, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Holy Spirit of the Lord. Are you allowing your life, young people, high schoolers, junior hires, college age students, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life? And every Bible-believing Christian in this room, no matter how old you are, the oldest person in this room, 
Are you still allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life? If you're not, you've put yourself on the shelf and God's not gonna, God doesn't want that. That's you. So if you want to do that, that's you. God still wants to use you, however that looks like. During the week, Sundays, Wednesdays, he still wants to use you. So this is why Paul didn't become discouraged or grow weary of the persecution that he had received. He knew personally that heaven was right in front of him. As we look at verse 17, for our light affliction. Can you imagine being with Paul and he writes this? For our light affliction. And you know when people are discussing, and I know this happens because I do it as well, and somebody's saying to me and I'm developing a thought in my mind before I even hear them out. Could you imagine the guys that are around him as he's writing this and penning this and talking to them about it? They're probably going, are you crazy, Paul? In their minds, light affliction, what's the matter with you? Everything we've been through, what are you talking about? Light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Guys, how long has Paul been dead? Over 1,900 years. Closer to 1970 years. So how long was his affliction? Peter says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And so I took 24 hours and a thousand years are as a day. So I, did, I took 24 hours, divided it into a thousand. Uh, one minute is roughly over four uh, months. No, how does that go? Now I've got myself on the spot. One hour. One hour is 41.6 earth years. One hour is 41.6 earth years. To give us an idea of heaven, of eternity. So by the time you got dressed, come here and go home, 83 years just went by, which is longer than the average lifespan. I think females is 77, males is 75. Go figure. So one hour is 41.6 year, year. One minute is a little bit over uh, four months. One second is a little bit over four, is one second is a little bit over four days. Four days. One second. So thank God August is already gone. <laughs> now we're heading into the fall, right? What a blessing that is. But boy, it's going to be a busy fall because September, guys, just went by. Are you watching my snaps? September's already gone. It's already in the rearview mirror. We're halfway through October already. A few more snaps. We're done with October. Oh, man, now we got to get ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we all know how crazy that is. Which house are we going to go to? It doesn't matter. Thanksgiving already went by. <laughs> Do you have the trees set up yet? Have you bought all the gifts? Have you dealt with all the people in the stores? Thank God, because we're in the new year. What promises have you made that you're going to do better this year that you never fulfilled last year or the last 50 years? But keep making those promises, because January's already gone, and you've forgotten about them, and now we're into February. Do you see that, how that happens, guys? So what does Paul say? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That time that that I spend in the Word, that time that you spend in the Word, it transforms our hearts. You see, 
Paul helps the Corinthians as well as us to understand or grasp how to handle persecution by what he and his companions had gone through. If you're a Bible-believing Christian and if you stay the course, you are going to be persecuted more and more and more. It is not going to change. The state-run media is going to make sure of that. The persecution was only for a moment. And that's why Paul kept the eternal perspective in mind. Guys, the rapture could literally take place any day. I personally believe it's going to be in fall. Jesus fulfilled the spring feast. I believe God is a God of consistency. He's going to fulfill the fall feast. What's the first feast in the fall? The feast of trumpets. The very first feast in the fall. And how are we going to be called up? In the rapture, blast of a trumpet. Could happen at any time, guys. So count your moments. Spend your moments wisely. Invest. Invest in the moments that you have left. In James 4.14, he says this, Whereas you do not know what you will do tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. In verse 10 of chapter 5, as we'll get to it maybe next week or the following week, Paul is going to remind his readers of a principle that Jesus taught his disciples at the very beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroyed and where the IRS is going to come in and steal. Have you guys been thinking about this last, year, last week? 87 IRS agents with guns? What? <laughs> Why would they need a gun? That makes absolutely no sense, especially with this administration that doesn't like guns. Hmm. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the whole point that Jesus is making. For where your treasure is, you're focusing on your account in heaven because you have an account in heaven. Philippians tells us that. Every single Bible-believing Christian has an account in heaven. And anything you do for Christ, even a cup of cold water to a disciple, Jesus said, you will in no way lose your reward. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what could this possibly, this weight of eternal glory, notice at the end of verse 17 there, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What could that be? Well, as you look it up, one of the definitions for weight means authority, authority. And one of the definitions of glory means an opinion, a judgment, a view. I put the two of them together. In Luke 19, we read this. Then came the first. You see, Jesus gave 10 minas to each individual. And so they were all equal and they invested it and they did something with it. And we have this. Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you are unfaithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. I personally believe, as you read the rest of the scriptures, this works out to the millennial reign of Christ. And as we have been given the Holy Spirit and we've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift, and we've been given other talents, as I invest those talents, as I invest those gifts, I am storing up treasure in heaven and I plan on hearing, well done, good servant. 
Not because I'm a religious person, but because I've surrendered my life. Do I make mistakes? Yes. Do I fall short? Yes. Do I disappoint people? Yes, yes, yes. We understand all that, I hope. I hope you're mature enough to know that and understand that. There's no bragging going on here. It's exhortation for you to do what God wants you to do. Because you are faithful in a very little. Notice that, just a very little, just 10 minas. I'm going to have you give a, you're going to have ruler, you're going to rule over 10 cities. And I believe that's during the millennial reign of Christ. Did Paul remain faithful during his tribulations? Yes. Did he ever question, doubt, or despair during those times? Answer, yes. He even wrote it himself that he even despaired of life. But even during those times, Paul grew in his understanding of God's will for his life and that helped him to keep that eternal perspective. You see, he was being found faithful and in his mind, it was a light affliction compared to the ruling and reigning that God had in store for him and it should be for you and I as well. In verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, because that's temporary, but at the things which are not seen, that's eternal, For the things which are seen are temporary and the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, when we look at our physical or our physical bodies, which is what Paul is addressing here in these verses, our minds can become trapped in the temporal. Years ago, years ago, because we've done so much marriage ministry over the last 35 years, we've seen all people of all ages, of all backgrounds come, millionaires to the person out of prison, the full spectrum. We've looked at each other over the years and we've said many, many times as the music team comes up, let's grow old gracefully. Let's just grow old gracefully. We are who we are. It is what it's going to be. And let's just grow gracefully. Let's take care of ourselves. We'll do our part to the best of our ability. But let's not go on any extremes. Let's not get caught up in the ways of the world. Let's just stay focused on Christ. And I encourage you to do the same because you'll never be good enough compared to this world. Ever will you ever be good enough. You see, again, because of Paul's perspective on heaven, he was able to look past his physical circumstances and stay focused on the will of God for his life, which was to spread the good news of Jesus being the Christ. You see, his body and everything associated with that visible, it was all temporal. Guys, everything we have, it's all temporal. So he was able to look past what was right in front of him and look forward to the eternal heaven. You see, the cross was before the Lord. Matter of fact, he even prayed three times the night before he was crucified. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass by. Guys, that wasn't filler. He was expressing his human heart. He was a human, he was fully percent, 100% human being. He was tempted in all ways that you and I are. Yet he chose not to sin. He knew what happened on the cross. He saw the punishment. He passed by those who were crucified. You think he never saw anybody crucified in his life? Rome made sure they crucified people publicly to cause fear and control upon the masses. Jesus knew and saw people on crosses. And he knew that nobody ever came off that cross alive. And oh, by the way, they were crucified totally naked. I know on a crucifix they have a little loincloth, which is nice. Rome, 
totally naked. We are going to shame you till your last breath. And you will never go against Rome. That's what Jesus had to look forward to. But he prayed three times, Father, not my will. Your will be done. Your will be done. Because why? His throne. That he momentarily left for the sake of mankind, as we approach 8 billion people, lay just on the other side. Father, we thank you and praise you. We're not going to sit on thrones. But we're going to stand before the throne. We're going to stand before the Bema seat. And we will be judged. Your word tells us that. Whether we feel it's right or not, your word says it is a fact. We only have one life to live. And it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So, Father, stir our hearts this week to be in the game, to be more involved, to allow your Holy Spirit to transform our lives that we might become servants and not just expecting everybody to serve us, but that we'll actually serve others, whether we're young, whether we're in junior high, or whether we're still in, you know, whether we're in our 70s or 80s. That we won't always expect people to wait on us. But we'll look for opportunities to bless as well as be blessed. And Father, we do. I I believe every Christian in this room and watching desires to store up treasure in heaven. But it's this stinking flesh that gets in the way. So Father, help us to do what Paul says. I crucify the flesh daily. Lord, help us to crucify that flesh that we might be ambassadors for you, that we might plant this week, water this week, fertilize this week. And Lord, if it's your will, to pray with someone to receive Jesus this week. What a blessing that would be. Help us, Father. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we will take time to do devotions, that we'll make that our priority, whether it's morning or noon or night, that we'll be awake, we'll be alert, but we'll make that a priority, that we might take on the glory of Christ that people will see our souls, our personalities being transformed into the image of Jesus. Father, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? If you need prayer for anything, please come up. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to come up after this service. If you're embarrassed to come up, then you're embarrassed about Christ. And this isn't guilt or condemnation. This is an invitation. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But I encourage you to take a stand for Jesus. Say, I want Jesus as my Savior, and I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. I want him as my Savior. If that is you, you come forward, and we're going to pray with you. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. But if you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you guys. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.